We're back to the Neil Haley Show here on the Caregiver Dave Celebrity Segment. I'm excited to welcome the program Caregiver Dave Nassani. Dave, how are you? Hey, I'm awesome. How are you? Good. Were you ever a drummer? I just, you know, you're yes, a singer. Yes, I was a drummer. Started at 12 and uh, into my teen years. And then when I got married, I had to sell my drums. And sad, sad day. <laughs> yeah, but Dave, and you went viral in music too, right? You sure. never told that story on our, t- our TV show. Maybe on the yep. radio you did. <clears throat> yep, tell that yep. story before you introduce our guest. Tell that story? Yeah, the viral, going viral music. I'm not sure which story you're talking about. Neil. Remember when you went viral music? Oh, Dave, you're forgetting. Well, I'll bring it <clears throat> up later. All right, so introduce our guest. Teddy Brunetti. Uh, she describes herself as a sober Janis Joplin meeting a steely Dan in Memphis. And it wasn't long before Teddy was touring with New York City's Impalas and Toronto's infamous B-Girls performing with Iris' uh, Carol McDonald before finally launching her own solo career. Welcome to the show, Teddy. Hey, thank you. It's an <laughs> honor to be with you guys today. Yeah, you look Absolutely. great. <laughs> Absolutely. And let's go real quick, Teddy. I wanted a question I wanted to ask you is drumming. Now, thinking about it, drummers are different because they can be in different bands a lot more than taking on another spot, right? You can be a sp- – because it's hard to find a drummer, a great drummer, isn't it, Teddy? Well – I don't, there's lots of great drummers, but um, yeah, I mean, I th- to me, the band's only as good as the drummer, you know, it's, especially in pop music, you know, rock and roll, uh, today's kind of music that's popular, popular music, the, the beats, the whole thing, isn't it now? It's hard to find a good drummer who can also sing, other than uh, Karen Carpenter. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, yeah, you have to separate your brain a little bit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So how did it start, Teddy, like getting involved in drums? How old were you? You know, the drums chose me. I didn't choose the drums. Uh, It was just like this spiritual experience I had when I was about 11 years old. Uh, I was at a girlfriend's birthday party and her older sister, who must have been like 14 or 15, had a little Victrola record player and they put this 45 on. It was the Kingsman's Louie Louie. And I heard the drum, the drums on that song are bombastic and it shot through me like a bolt of lightning and I was possessed and I ran to that <laughs> record player and I kept playing that song over and over again. And I had never played a musical instrument, you know, it was like 11. And so, um, but I knew in those moments that that's what I did. That's what I was going to do. I was going to be, I, that's what I did. I was a drummer. I could do this is what I do. I'm a drummer. I'm a musician. I'm a you know, singer. I'm all this stuff. You know what I mean? It just came on me. I mean, I, it was just, I don't know how to describe it. It was just like this magic thing that happened. And I ran home after that party and asked to have drum lessons at, because I had a younger brother who was like a child, who, he was a child prodigy, classical pianist. All right. And he's a big vocal coach in Manhattan today. He went to Carnegie Mellon for piano. And, um, and his name's David Brunetti. He's written a book called, I'll plug him, Acting Songs. They use it as a textbook in colleges and theater groups oh. and stuff. Yeah, yeah. He's very well known and has done quite well uh, for himself. But um, anyway, I'm the oldest of 10 kids, by the way. Oh so uh, <laughs> that might have been another reason why they didn't want me to play the drums. You must <laughs> be Italian. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. So, um, but they said no. 
when I asked for the drums because they thought it was a boy's instrument. So I asked for the next best thing, which to me was guitar. And that's my first instrument, guitar. And it really, it, it, yeah. So it served me well because that's how I write today. There's not so a who, lot of drummers who have a, who have that in their back pocket that they can pull out a, you know. Well, I was wondering who your heroes were, who you listened to, who played drums. I mean, you're old enough to know Gene Krupa and Buddy Rich. And oh, yeah, they? Buddy Rich for sure, right? I mean, and Gene Krupa. They're all great. I like all the old greats, you yeah. know. Uh, and you can hold your own, I imagine. <laughs> yeah, I'm a school drummer. I was a percussion major for a few years wow. and dropped out and went on the road with a rock band. But I, so, I had a, I actually got a scholarship for uh, snare drumming. So did so the family know that you day. could sing or was that a, a shock to them? No, you know, they kind of encouraged me to sing, oh, good. I, you know, because we all sing. But um, <laughs> and my mother used to say, used to always tell me what a unique voice I have. You know, just as a speaking voice, my voice is a little different. And so uh, it carries over, of course, into my singing voice, too. So um, my parents were actors. My dad's my dad's 93 and he has an actor's equity card still. Yeah. So, I mean, that's not how they raised us. Um, They, you know, they went to New York and tried to make it as actors for a few years. And then I guess World War II happened and things like that. So yeah. they get, if they you can make it my, there, you can make it anywhere. That's, that's, a, truth. that's a truth. So I kind of mirrored their careers and uh, exactly. went to New York and uh, were there. I was there almost 20 years and we had both our sons are native New Yorkers. And after uh, we had the second child, we moved back to Pittsburgh to raise the kids. I went to, uh, I went, I dropped out of the music business, my husband and I. My husband's a guitar player. I met him on the uh, road in the first road band I was in. Oh, wow. So, so yeah. So, sounds, uh, like you, sounds like you're having fun. Yes. It's, you know, I'm li- if they would have said, wish for whatever you want, I wouldn't have wished for this because it's too much. It's too good. It's too fun. It's too So good. let's take it back with the <clears throat> biggest break in your career in drums before you left the music industry or to then have your band uh-huh. later on. Uh, tell us like the biggest break, like where, how'd that happen? How did you connect with those people to get that, to get to be in the certain groups that you were a drummer in? Yeah, it's interesting. New York back in the seventies and eighties, it was, there was a, starving artist community and um we just we didn't know anyone when we moved to new york and we ended up living in a building called the music building um and it was it was quite <laughs> it was quite a place and uh, john lennon's band elephant's memory was on the front uh, of our floor and and uh, bob marley's keyboard player uh, wow. tyrone downey lived next door to me and um you know, so everybody knew each other. Everybody went to and supported each other. We all went to each other's gigs. We were all playing CBGBs and all the big New York clubs and everything. So, um, you know, word word would get around. You were just part of the scene. Sure. And um, there were rehearsal studios. One guy who, who uh, played keyboards with us managed this big rehearsal studio. And um, he gave me a call. And I, that's how I ended up with the B-Girls, you know. Uh, some of the other groups, um, people would just, Carol McDonald with ISIS, that was a big band. They, um, he was on that ISIS band. Uh, it was a horn band, 
all women. They were still that, and I played with the band she had after that band, but they were on the Midnight Special. Do you remember the Midnight sure, Special? Sure, sure. I love that oh, show. That's a big deal, right? It was just a so, summer thing, and I, I wished it kept going. Yeah, wasn't it great? Yeah. So, um, I was actually but, on that show in the audience, not in the show, but uh, uh, one of the first We're waiting for your viral see. story, David. You forgot. Give me some clues. And, uh, no, okay, we're not going <laughs> to talk about that. I got to files. It's cool that you play the drums, though. <laughs> Yeah, so would you say so touring with the B girls? What was the, what are your experiences performing in pretty interesting crowds and stuff? What would you say? Yeah, were- they opened for the Clash. Um, Mick Jones from the Clash produced an EP for us in the studio, and I wrote for that band too. And they, uh, you know, we've recorded oh. one of my songs with that band that I wrote. And um, we were, um, that band was like, uh, it was between us and the Go Go's who was going to get this record deal. And uh, they had, we were totally unmanageable (laughs) and and the Go-Go's had a manager. (laughs) So, um, you know, sex, drugs, and rock and roll things kind of took a toll on that band. But uh, that, unfortunately, uh, the guitar player from the B-Girls passed away last year, Renee Shohab. But the, the other two uh, women are, who were in that band are still alive. One's in, um, one's in New York playing in a punk band now, and one's in India. And she's a, a guru of sorts, you know, and she's still doing music. We, we did a FaceTime a couple of weeks ago, and it was great because I hadn't seen them in a while, you know. But they're still, they're still at it. But they were Cindy Lauper and Madonna and that whole thing. This is before, you got to remember, before MTV and even cable TV, yeah. really. And so all the styles and all the uh, art stuff that would originate in the East Village. You know, a lot of that style of the rock and roll and all the new uh, styles and hairstyles and music styles and stuff like that uh it all came out of the east village and um i i got to be part of that that's awesome you're like into everything eclectic rock blues jazz which do you kind of lean toward i listen more i listen more to like funky kind of jazz you know Uh but um who's your favorite who's your favorite Right now, I'm I'm listening a lot to um, Snarky Puppy and uh, Lettuce. They both have amazing drummers. Okay, and um, the music's good. Oh, I, but I like oh oh you know who I like also. I've been listening to I listen to Osnoy. Do you know him, guitar no. player? Ooh, no. you got to check him. I out. know Eric Eric Clapton. <laughs> oh yeah, well Eric Clapton. You know <coughs> we my husband and I have. We've made trips to see him play. Yeah. To see his concerts. Yeah. So Jeff kind Clapton, of people, what made you know, get I, back? And so you said you went, left the music industry when you got married. When did you get back and form the band that you band, that's today? How long? That, yeah. How did that happen? Yeah. That <clears> happened <throat> a few years ago. Um, and it just so happened that um, Dean Sargent and Mike Hennigan, my producers, um, are in my band now. All right. So, um, Dean produced my first solo album 35 years ago in New York City. He was the first called New York City uh, recording engineer. 
So he worked on a lot of big projects and stuff. And that's, and, you know, I've benefited from that. You know, you don't get uh, 40, 50 years experience when you're 20, right? So between, and he's been writing, and both these guys, they sing and they write also. So between all of us, we have like probably 200 years of experience. <laughs> and, and it shows on this album. It's really well-produced. It's not overproduced. Everything we accomplished, all the goals that we set out to do, because I, I started to do this album. I told my husband I started writing again. So I said, I want to do an album. And uh, so our grandkids will know the grandma and grandpa were cool once, you know, yeah. it was star. So it started as a legacy thing. And Dean said, let's just let the music speak for itself. And just one thing led to another. And yeah. it turn it's just too good not to go after it again. So we're having a ball. I'm enjoying the process. You know, uh, every artist says that uh, at some point in their career, it kind of takes a little low. I mean, Sinatra was concerned when the Beatles took off and stuff like that. Oh. Did that ever happen to you guys? Oh, yeah. And, um, I mean, and not so far long ago. I mean, the music business is oh, it's wow. a whole different place today yeah. than it was back then. I mean, when I recorded my first album, we did it on, uh, you know, that two-inch tape, you know? <laughs> So the whole digital thing is like a whole new. But things come around. It, it's like uh, everyone who was concerned, you know, 30, 40 years ago is now really popular. We've got old guys doing concerts that sell right. out crowds. Well, that we're, we're uh, very much in that vein of a, a classic kind of rock and yeah. uh, with jazz and blues and a lot of blues influences, you know. At real people playing real instruments. Right. They're not something that comes out of a computer, you know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But, but that's, you, you know, pop uh, music's like that. I'm sorry, Neil. I yeah, when you talk Pittsburgh, okay, uh, Pittsburgh rock, yeah. and how the tradition of what the music is in Pittsburgh. What do you think of that? You know, you know, after you've had your success in New York and that's forming the band again, bringing all this back, and then to see the just Pittsburgh fans in general and how they're liking this whole reinvention of what you guys are doing to coming back together to do this tell us like the whole history of pittsburgh rock and understanding how it just really fits well for what you're trying to do now well you know pittsburgh is an interesting city it's uh, it's it's in between you know it's not south it's not north it's not big city it's not small city we're like the three bears we're, we're just right yeah. we're not too big not too small just it's just right and um so many wonderful musicians in Pittsburgh. I mean, we have world-class jazz musicians here. I got to tell you. I, and, and I've traveled, my husband and I have traveled. Everywhere we go, we, <clears throat> we seek out the jazz clubs and we look for the best musicians, you know, and uh, the best music. And nobody rivals our, our um, and I'm talking New York City and LA, all the places. Our guys can play anywhere. They're world-class. And... Uh, and we also have um, rock and roll, you know, so we have we have all kinds of music here. I mean, the symphony orchestra wins Grammys yes. and uh, the culture is amazing. And you can't believe it as a rocker. You're now being cultured, right? You wouldn't yeah. think of 20 years ago, culture and now rock is becoming that right where, you know, that you can get and perform in places that you wouldn't have performed 20 years ago. Absolutely. Yeah. It's not a fad, is it? Right. <laughs> <laughs> so um yeah pittsburgh's pittsburgh's great you know 
it, we have all kinds of, uh, there's a, I mean, and they do the whole gamut of rock and roll here from the heavy, heavy metal, biker, heavy metal, whatever kinds of metal there. They have all <laughs> kinds of heavy metal, right? Uh, who knows? And you what? like it all? I, you know, if it's done well, I like it. I th to me, music is a kind of thing where um, when it's right, when it's good, it kind of you it transcends genre. You know, yeah, it, yeah. it's it it hits you in a spiritual place in a in your heart. You know, you feel it no matter what. So right. when it's good, it's good. You know, yeah. and I'm I'm open to all of it. I'm not really a snob that way musically. Right. You know, so tell me about the album some what what should we expect and i love the title too right that's gotta excite make you excited right queen of pittsburgh yeah that I love that. well i'm not <laughs> saying just so you nobody's heard the song yet so they don't know and this was this was my producer dean's idea dean sorge this is it's, it's his don't be title. humble now <laughs> it's his, i blame him um i'm it's not i'm not saying i'm the queen of pittsburgh what the song says is I'm not going to stop kicking ass until they make me the queen of Pittsburgh. <laughs> so <laughs> that's kind of, like you know, yeah. <clears throat> oh, wait till you hear it. My, my um, husband and our son, James, our youngest boy is a musician and they do a father son guitar solo section in that song oh. that, that kills it's, I mean, it's really good. And uh, that, that's another thing about this album. That was so much fun for me. I got to have my son on it. Of course, my husband's on it. And uh, two of my sisters sing background vocals, and my girlfriend Nicole Bell I um, sang yeah. background vocals Jeez. on it too. So I got to have. So every time I hear it, it brings a smile to my face because I hear my family on there. You know? oh. right. So I'm racking my brain trying to figure out what what uh, Neil is talking about going viral. The only story I can think of, Neil, uh, are you talking about Michael Jackson? I told a story where um, I was good friends with uh, the godfather of, of gospel, Andre Crouch. Yeah. And he used to hang out with Billy Preston and Michael Jackson and stuff like that. Yeah. And one time, uh, you know, I talked him into doing a Facebook page. I became his administrator. And wow. I went from like three people to 200,000. And all of a sudden, uh, there was a, a news article about uh, Andre and Michael Jackson. And I won't get into it, but um, it went viral because I was uh andre's facebook administrator and he's kind of he doesn't like to talk to people but they were talking to me and you know according to dave nasani uh, uh andre crouch's facebook uh that's not says, it it was music well I'll, I'll go with that one all right well that's anyway <laughs> today if you google my name and michael jackson's name it goes on for pages and pages maybe and that's pages. where i misunderstood the story but that's probably cool there's the viral one but we'll take it, Dave. All right, we'll take it. Your name's viral. All right, so, but it also is a caregiver. So tell, ask the caregiver question to Ted. Well, I understand your father is 90, what? 92, 93? 93, God bless him. Is he in good health? Yes. Good for you. Yeah. My wife, uh, when she was 58, had a stroke. She lost her speech, became paralyzed on one side. And yeah. I instantly had to become her caregiver overnight. And, you know, I wasn't prepared for it, wasn't ready for it. And a couple of years was uh, the grief process. It was it was hell, you know. Oh, yeah. But we 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 hung in there. We we stuck at it, and uh, she became her old self again. Our love was rekindled, and and uh, so I discovered there's other caregivers out there who are suffering, and 
and feeling lost and alone. Did you know 30% of caregivers actually die before their loved ones do? No it's kidding. a tough, tough job. It is. But, it is. but uh, so I became Dave, the caregiver's caregiver. I have a caregiverdave.com website to help caregivers uh, hang in there. Um, I like to say that, you know, if you're not a caregiver today, just wait. You're either going to become one or you're going to need one. <laughs> and now is the time to learn how to be a caregiver, not after tragedy strikes like me. So my question to you is, have you uh, had any caregiving experience yet? Has, has it touched your life somehow? Well, yes, with my mother, mm. you know, um, the last few years of her life, as she declined, um, you know, my husband and I were the retired ones. So we were on call, you know, that phone would ring, we'd do a bat turn and my dad would say, I need your help. And bang, we'd have to, <laughs> we'd run out and, and help him with my Good mother. And we took her to all her appointments and her radiation treatments when we went through that and, you know, all her doctor's appointments. And, you know, my, my dad was, a he really. Did you see any signs of burnout in your, in your dad, not taking care of himself, putting his needs first? He, you know, he's, a t they're tough. My parents were tough. So, I mean, uh, he, um, of course he's 93 now. He lives with my baby sister who's a, who oh, okay. happens to be a pharmacist and her husband has, uh, Dave has Parkinson's. So he's home. And, so she's uh, the caregiver in the family. So she is. Yeah. So we, you know, but it's nice having this many siblings. We can all, yeah. uh, help out a little. Um, so, you know. Well, if, yeah. if they ever look like they're burning out, send them to caregiverdave.com. We'll, we'll straighten them out. Okay, thanks. <laughs> now, Teddy, best place we can find your music, where can we go? You can go to my website, which is www.teddybrunetti.com, and that's T-E-D-I-B-R-U-N-E-T-T-I. -T -T -I. You can also find me on Facebook and Instagram, and I love keeping in touch with my social media friends. And I have a YouTube, uh, official YouTube channel and uh, Evil Woman, the single that I have out from the album, uh, oh, wow. has a wonderful video on YouTube. I just, I checked today and we have 8,300 views already. And that's, it's really hard to get views when you only have one item out there, you know? Yeah, People want great. content, content, uh, content. Yeah, that's good. So, so you definitely are providing a different type of music, putting the rock with the jazz. And I'm sure that you'll be performing a lot when right. things start opening up more, or you're going to have to recruit some other people. You know how it works is if you're going to do Pittsburgh and some of your people are other places, you'll have to put other people together to help you perform some big stuff because I, I see some big things coming and Thank it's, you. and it's awesome what you're doing. The B girl, B girls, is that again, in a way like a, one of those indie bands that, people there's a huge following and because i was googling some of that while we were talking oh it's yeah they, interesting. yeah yep, they were i mean it was amazing that uh we didn't sign with anybody but um you know those that was back in the day you know the record companies wanted to own you and we just never they just never offered the right deal and we didn't yeah. and and the leader of the band those girls are from toronto yeah, so you were women kind of now. Watching. I mean, we're all we're all like grandmothers now. But, I looked. Uh, I looked at the picture, of the co album cover. Were you on on any of the album covers or not? Uh, I'm this. I'm their second drummer, so I don't know. There's a there's a few albums out, so um, I'm on one of them, I think. Okay. But, um, the um, yeah. 
Awesome. I just think it's cool because it's just, again, it's the thing that you think about specifically that experience and how, you know, indie bands from back in the day have such a following still because of how music's able to be heard in so many ways. So, but I think this is a really big thing you're trying to do with the whole jazz and rock. And I think that it fits perfectly for Pittsburgh, but hopefully yeah. you guys will be touring all over the place once COVID's finally gone and you can start traveling and doing this. Even LA. Yeah. In LA, yeah, oh, come yeah, LA yeah, and see definitely. Dave. All right, we appreciate it. Thanks, Teddy. Oh, you guys are great. Thank you so much for having me today. Thank you. You're welcome. Great. To All right, guys. Bye-bye. All right, take care. That was a caregiver, Dave. Celebrity segment. Take that. Celebrity slots. Free spin. Free to play mobile social slot games in the likeness of your favorite celebrities. Making money. Spin to win celebrity experiences through sweepstakes. Free to download, free to play. Yeah, baby. What are you waiting for? Win meet and greets, celebrity merchandise, gift cards, and more. Download Celebrity Slots today. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Photographic Memory Podcast. I'm excited to welcome the program, Dr. Shannon Panza. Dr. Shannon, how are you? What's going on? Oh, Great things are happening here again. Uh, we're, uh, we're very excited to have a special guest with us today. And this is one of my, uh, one of my mentoring clients. And uh, this will help uh, other people understand what my mentoring is actually all about. Most people, whenever it comes to mentoring, they, they take a look at things and they go, ooh, what is that? Uh, how can I make my brain work better for me? So this is what I do is I teach people how to do that and how to put, put those basic principles into their life skills to make their life better. I want to introduce RJ. Uh, RJ is a current client and, uh, I think he, I think he's enjoying it. (laughs) Yes, I am. Okay. Hi, RJ. Hey, how are you doing? How are you doing, Neil? How okay. are you doing, RJ? Thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, yeah. So kind of tell me how you found out about Sex Pro Mentorship. Um, I came from a professional background, the financial services industry. So at first, I was looking into catching up on the material and update information. And I needed a way to learn faster. So to get ahead of the field, because, you know, compliance and update information is important. Um, it's every year where the new rules, ethics, and financial services industry uh, with continuing education. So out of faith, uh, I scoured the internet to see if there was a way to learn faster until I found Zoxpro. After that, I needed more uh, out of the course. So I reached out to Dr. Shannon about the mentorship. Interesting. So what, yeah. are, the, what, what are the benefits of mentorship? Uh, the, the mentorship personalizes what's uh, going on in your life as of today, and it redirects you to what matters to you and your destiny. So there are programs in the mentorship uh, that have lifted uh, years of burden that I have unknowingly been carrying. All of a sudden, by Dr. Uh, Shannon's mentoring, has helped and lifted it up. It makes you think, well, you know, that was simple because uh, everyone, like, seems to complicate everything as far as, like, systems, reinventing the wheel, doing things. So when in reality, it's supposed to be simple. That's why the mentoring works, because 
you're also being reminded that this works, this has been like this, and we'll continue to work with this. So you get an extra set of experienced eyes to recognize what you couldn't see if it was just you. Yeah, that's important. And, and, and one, of, one of the things I want to mention is due to my techniques that I, that I share with RJ and my other clients, uh, it does lift a lot of burdens off the person. In other words, it frees you up for much better mobility in everything that you're doing. Uh, it's a very holistic training. It not only deals with your personal aspects, but it deals with your uh, professional aspects and intertwining all those as life really is. I also want to um, add on to the holistic side. It really makes a big difference because the Zoxboro courses is the how-to and the mentorship is the why-to and the playbook per se. And, and what, he was, uh, what Dr. Shannon was talking about is it bulldozes the obstacles and makes a clear path to learning uh, if there's a plateau or if you're going through obstacles. For me, it's the biggest benefit, especially in taking books and it's full con on conceptual up overstanding. And you, you come to find out that to learn mental photography is to learn how to read energy. That's, you know, I, and that's very interesting. So we're gonna talk about what your experience with mental photography in a way, mm -hmm. because I mean, you just found out about this that I wanna find a better way uh, right. to, remember a lot more material for your professional work and you searched and searched and found. So what are, what is your experience with mental photography? Wow. Um, the experiences are endless. Uh, I get more out of the book than having to read and understand it on a surface level. So I'm able to experience books. I never would have thought possible. I never knew that there was a uh, layers to taking in information. You get to see the bigger picture felt like I it felt like I was activated, per se, because when you read it, you become aware. When you zox, it helps you become awake. But with the mentoring side, you get activated. It's like there's a turn on switch. You get to live the books you photograph. Because I'm basically, uh, the experiences right now, I'm basically living the, photo, the books that I photograph. Um, I'm experiencing the holographic and deeper side of reading. So it's a very uh, different dimension of taking information. Very, very interesting. I think that this is, again, the part that why we have people, Dr. Shannon, on the show that you've mentored or have taken uh, Zux Pro to really give you an understanding, Dr. Shannon, of the benefits of it. That, again, you've received those benefits. You're, the person who mentored you has received those benefits and other guests that we've had on the program. But it's always great to hear from a fresh set of eyes, a new person, what they have that what they've experienced. Right. And this is exactly what, this is exactly why it's important for me to have people like RJ on the program. So the people, uh, other people, uh, potential clients and just others in general, so that they understand that what I teach is actually bonafide as uh, a proven way to, uh, to actually reach in and, get a hold of your brain and do good things with it. So yes, it, uh, it definitely shows that I'm, I'm doing some good work with people. And the main thing is, is from Zox Pro training on, I'm here, I'm here to help people accomplish in their life. And it's really important that, uh, that I be able to do that. I'm very selective of who I bring on for my 
my mentoring clients. And uh, I, I personally feel uh, that I need to make sure that I bring on the right people so that I can make a big difference in their life. What is your outlook in, men- in the mentoring, RJ? I'm looking forward to applying mental photography as a way of life. Now that I have the confidence and the ability to learn anything I want to learn and appreciating how each book was written, like the feelings of the book, just the whole of its uh, creation. Uh, also to have a fulfilling uh, friendship with Dr. Shannon, maybe put him on the retainer or something. Because <laughs> um, overall, um, aside from Zoxpro, uh, he's a ma- an amazing uh, mentor. Uh, he's very down to earth and straight to the results. So you will Zox. I mean, um, you will know once you meet him. Yes, for sure. Mm-hmm. And I, it sounds like you would recommend the mentorship then. Oh, I would uh, wholeheartedly recommend the mentorship to anyone who wants to get ahead in life. Um, if you want to take it to the next level and elevate overall to be the best in your field, to catch up on the speed of technology and to organize and design your life. Uh, for me, it's a no brainer. Yeah, it's a no brainer. Exactly. <laughs> Dr. Shannon, anything else to add, Dr. Shannon, to this interview? Well, uh, there's uh, there's plenty more time for uh, for RJ to experience life in its fullness, and this is this is one of the things that people need to be doing. They need to take the blinders off. They need to open up their eyes and see the world as it truly is, instead of what we're being fed. And the only way to do this is through true awareness, and you have to unfetter yourself uh, before you can grow this way. And that's what uh, that's what I start with. I I teach my clients how to uh, how to get to the primary roots of those particular problems and solve those problems and getting get them out of their way so that they can progress in life, uh, whether it be their professional life, their personal life. Uh, relationships, uh, wealth, it doesn't matter. It's, it's, all, it's all combined into one. And how can you ever expect to be good at it if you're chained down? And that's what the system does to people. Not my system, the other system. And it chains people down. It stops them from enjoying life. It, it, it halters them. It binds them. And this is not where you need to be. This is not where people need to be. Uh, you need to be experiencing the actual truth instead of the junk that they keep feeding you. And that's what I, you know, by a person unfettering themselves, this is what they begin to experience. And they can experience more and more of this to whatever level they like. So that's pretty hard hitting, but the point is it's true. No, it's definitely true. And I think that uh, even from some bits and pieces, I get mentoring from Dr. Shannon since I've worked with him as a co-host and then also working with him in marketing. He has taught me so much when I share things of my life with him that he's able to put the pieces together using things. I look forward to at one point having the time to take Zuxpro and I too, because I want to be able to increase my ability to remember more things and be able to use that into my field. So the last question for RJ is, how's it helped you professionally? Some of the things from mentoring in Zuxpro. Uh, professionally, it has a, because 
I have a, a roller coaster uh, schedule. So uh, part of it's uh, mentoring. Uh, there's a there's a way for me to cope with my stress levels, and because of his mentoring, uh, Zoxpro uh, itself, it has helped me how to control it, and I can I can get things done faster, and then have more free time for my family and my friends. Excellent. All right, so Dr. Shannon, uh, I guess we're guys. What we got to do right now, Dr. Shannon, so we can get started today is go to zoxpro.com, right, Dr. Shannon? That's a great place to get started, zoxpro.com. And then great things happen here. Exactly, because <laughs> zoxpro.com can sign up for Zoxpro or contact Dr. Shannon for mentoring. All that information is that on the website. And uh, we appreciate you guys uh, stopping by again for another Photograph Memory podcast. Thanks again, RJ. You don't have anything where people can find you and stuff. You said you're in the financial services. Is there a place people you want people to find you? Um, not at the moment, but um, I do. Uh, um, I'm in the process of uh, creating a, a financial services industry uh, business. Excellent. So well, you'll keep have you to posted. To and. We'll and thank you, thank you for coming by, RJ. It's been a pleasure having you. Awesome. Oh, always. Thank you. All right, guys. That was the Photographic Memory Podcast. Take care. Please listen to the Forletta Podcast. Larry Forletta, a retired DEA agent turned private investigator, will bring you true life stories on the war on drugs with some of the most infamous international drug traffickers of all time, to name a few. Pablo Escobar, Manuel Noriega, Joaquin Guzman, a.k.a. El Chapo, and other related real-life crime stories such as Waco. For more information, please visit his website at www.fcisllc.com. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the COVID-19 Vaccine Show. I'm excited to welcome to Dr. Mark Hayden. Dr. Mark, you know, it's just crazy. Your predictions were all right, completely. It's, it's unbelievable to know that they're going to push restrictions again, and we might go back to where we were before. You know, I, I don't, I hope that doesn't happen in the United States. There are areas where people do not, have immunity, and there are areas where uh, isolation until some, they have some form of inoculation or vaccination would be appropriate. But let's, let's just look at our current condition, okay? Um, we've been talking for the past several weeks about how the highly transmissible variant has swept across the United States, and indeed it has. In fact, it swept through Missouri, it was documented in the sewer systems across Missouri beginning in the middle of June. And it only took a couple of weeks to, to really go across the state. So it's almost been about seven, eight weeks that Missouri has had this invisible cloud of exhaled virus floating through the air. And as that virus floated through the air, people were not wearing masks. And yet what we see is that the death rates in Missouri are not going up. In fact, the death rates re remain very, very low. And we'll look at those in just a second. So we want to be able to rationalize how can two events occur? 
the release and widespread dissemination of a highly transmissible variant in Missouri with a very low death rate. Though that is not really candidly discussed on CNN, it's not discussed in the halls of no. Congress, or it's not discussed anywhere else, but it is discussed here. And to really bring those things home, we'll actually hopefully in this brief 30 minute or so um, telecast or podcast, actually let you witness me consuming uh, SARS-CoV-2. Now, anytime I consume SARS-CoV-2, it is not something that I grew in the lab. I don't culture that virus. Healthcare professionals are allowed to collect specimens. And people are allowed to donate their biological specimens. You're allowed, for instance, to donate your blood. Right. What you don't realize is, have you donated blood, Neil? Uh, not one. I've been give, I give them blood before, but no, I've never done any blood. You just know a lot of people just, who have, though, right? Right. Exactly. Yes. There's not. It's not a crime. It's not a. It's not. Now, are medical people required to receive that blood? Pretty much. Yeah. You know, when you donate it at the blood bank, most of the people are medical people. Anytime you deal with a live virus, only licensed medical people should be involved. Only people that are highly educated know the risk and, and benefits they're, they're taking. These things that you might see on this program that involve live virus are not to be done by amateurs. They're not to be done by unlicensed personnel. So that having been said, and this is not give you the authority to imitate any of these practices or do them. And, you, and of course, it would be negligent and, and fear provoking to ever do these on other people without their permission. So we don't in any way condone anything like that. But let, let's just talk about let's now let's go to talk about Missouri. Let's look at our coronavirus case. Total coronavirus cases in the world about this says one hundred ninety one million dollar uh, one hundred ninety one million. Uh, really, there's like seven billion people. Coronavirus in, in one variant or another has been around a year, year and a half. Far more than one hundred ninety one million people have actually had it. Many, many more. Probably a bit. It's in the billions, more than likely. A lot of those people, if you don't get symptoms, you don't go get tested. It doesn't mean that it's not growing in your intestines. We said this over a year ago. Did Fauci ever tell the American public that it grows in their intestines and no. often grows asymptomatically? He didn't, did he? No. But that's okay. You know, maybe he has a need to know basis. Maybe he's on his own top secret stuff. Maybe we don't have a Open, transparent but, government in but, the United States. I think that they want to go down the route of if they use the vaccine, even though it's not foolproof, if you can get everyone vaccinated, it's the safest thing. That's the narrative going all over the world. And anytime they see spread, they blame it on Don people that are not willing to get the vaccine. Now, every every community is a separate choice. For instance... In North Korea was one of the most isolated countries in the world. China has very rigid standards. You don't get into China if you're carrying a positive uh, a variant. Right. They do extremely tight testing. That means that most of the population in China and in North Korea 
are have no immunity and no immune exposure at all. That's zero. Okay, zero exposure. It's not been on their food. That it hasn't been on, in their drink. They haven't got it accidentally in their mouth. They've never seen it before. So if you took a highly transmissible variant that I will be swallowing over here in just a minute, if they took that and inhaled it to their lungs in North Korea, it would become rapidly transmissible through the air. And many, sadly, very sadly, many North Koreans would die. Wow. Probably that would be the expected outcome. And that is certainly not what I would want. And I would never. However, if you're North Korea, what you need is, a, or if you're China, you need a rapid method of inoculating all your population so that as they inhale these transmissible variants, they won't get sick. So what die. was the oral vaccine that saved the U.S.? Which one that was an oral vaccine that no, saved? They had Vaxart. No, not, Vaxart. Not, no, I'm talking another pandemic. Not pandemic, another disease. Okay, oral polio virus, for instance. Exactly. So why are they mentioning polio? Dr. Anthony Fauci talking about people all took the polio virus. The vaccine. If he, they, I expect that they will be forced to go to an oral vaccine. Vaccine. So what does that mean for yours? What does that mean for yours? Then that means you can. Okay. Really, my vaccine has been was originally the community variant. I asked for uh, live coronavirus from the CDC after the pandemic occurred and had already released it in the community. The CDC would not come. They just won't provide it to you, even if you're a medical provider. So when I obtained my uh, coronavirus, it was from the community. And that's that I had access to that to people who donated it to me. So I was able to take it and inoculate my intestinal tract. I inoculated it orally. You can you can have multiple different methods, but orally is, is appears to be a very safe and effective method. It was never picked up, even though it was presented to Operation Warp Speed. Operation Warp Speed chose to go with the big money ideas and go with classic intramuscular immunization using uh, Pfizer and Moderna. And Pfizer and Moderna really wrote their own research, were able to write their own rules. And even writing their own rules on their own research, they got total civil immunity from all civil prosecution. Things that I never got in my medical career. in, In 30 years of medical practice, I never had total civil immunity for the way I treated people. Never. And, and neither has anybody in your community except, with one exception, your local, state, and federal judges get immunity. You can't do anything to them. They're so, above so, the law. Yeah. Yes. But, but so, at any rate, that's another, you know, that's another issue. So the so interesting thing is we're talking to Dr. Mark Hayden about this today here on the COVID-19 vaccine show. So, uh, so, so, so yes, basically, it, the oral vaccine, if it becomes, can you be part of the process? Can you no, help a, the rest of the world? Absolutely. You are, I expect that within a few months, certainly by the end of the year, you will see oral live vaccine being delivered either or else there'll be a, uh, what do you call it? Um, just a ground, it, it, because there's so much of it available in the community, it will become a standard practice to use an oral vaccine. Either it's going to be p- provided by the government, by industry, 
or the local physicians in that community that are threatened are going to go out and get it and use it for themselves. That's what's going to happen. The, the physicians that watch this video, if they're licensed, are they licensed to collect blood? Yes, they are. Are they licensed to collect sputum and do a, do a throat swab? Yes, they are. Are those physicians often in countries? Even North Korea has their own physicians. I've been, you know, they have a hospital. They have doctors. They could, they could apply oral inoculation, oral vaccination using live virus next week. And it'd probably be the smartest move they could make. Then they could open up their tourism trade in North Korea. One of the things that North Korea has been devastated economically is they built tourism around trade from Ch Chinese communists coming over and visiting their country. And now they can't invite all these tourists in without worry that their entire economy is going to be exposed to this, these new variants. They need to get very rapid. And I've been very rapid oral inoculation going in North Korea or as they choose to be called the DPRK. So whether it's China or whether it's North Korea or whether it's some of these highly isolated states. Right. Now, you, could, you also can watch the Olympics. Look at the, the they haven't opened up Tokyo. Guess what? Tokyo was still isolated so far as. Uh, big, big uh, events. And I think you're going to see, I, I haven't seen, uh, I don't really watch the Olympics that much, but you know, you're not going to see these 10,000 people gathering all together in Tokyo. They're worried about the population of Japan, not having immunity. The fastest path, the safest path to immunity is through the intestinal tract. Okay. So let's talk yeah. about the stuff you have on online now. Let's take a look at that. Okay. Now let's look. All right. Look, here we go. Coronavirus cases. That's real numbers way, way higher than that. And we see is, is the daily desk going away? No, but it's down sag. This is worldwide. That's worldwide. Okay. Yeah. Now let's go to, we have been talking on this program about US. Missouri. And Missouri, Missouri yeah. is not a small case number. Missouri is a fairly large, it's like 6 million people in Missouri. The Missouri population only had about 40% of the people fully vaccinated. It was one of the worst vaccinated places. So let's go down and I want to look at my report from yesterday. Hold on. Missouri should be, there's Missouri. Come on, Missouri. Okay, there we go. All right, there's Missouri. Now. You see the total coronavirus cases in Missouri? Keep going up. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, new, new cases in Missouri. Are they going up in Missouri? Yes. Yes. So what do you call a case? What you call a case in Missouri is where somebody has had a positive. Uh, How many of them had the vaccine? Yes. A lot of these have had the vaccine. All right. Now, guess, guess what, though? Look at how high the new daily cases are in Missouri. You see this spike over here at yeah. the end? See how it's zooming up? Yeah. Now, is that cause to panic? That's the real issue. Let's go down here. Look at the deaths. It's not spiking up. It's flattening out. Look at the daily deaths. It dropped out. Do you see these numbers? Do you see these numbers on here? Yeah. It's look, I'm looking at 
when I scanned through July 8th, there were four people. July 5th, there were three people, seven people, six people, four people, two people. Compared to February of 16. You know, the last reported death we have in, in was on July 12th. That's exactly the opposite of what you would say. What you would say is the way. But the hospitalizations are up. Now, here's where that comes from. But why? Yes. But also we have the treatments. We have the treatments for this virus now, too. You have you have hospitalizations, but the true death rate is very, very low in Missouri right now, even though it has been around for six or eight weeks. There's not been a even though there was a peak how long ago and there may be a slight peak in in two weeks, but there's not been the peak. It dropped out. That was weird. And it dropped out because how can you explain that 40, that almost at least 50% of the people had no double vaccinations, probably 40, at least 50% probably had no vaccinations. And yet those people aren't dropping like flies. There's no 1% death rate. Remember, if you've got. Uh, so let's see the deaths. Let's see that graph for deaths. Real OK, quick. look, let, let, let's look at look, look at. All right. Look, our cases. A week, two weeks ago, our cases in in. Um, let's just talk about June, June 23rd. That was over three weeks ago, 871 cases you'd be expecting at least eight deaths a day, probably more at one out of a hundred. Right. Right. Okay. One out of a hundred, you'd have one, eight to 12 to 15 a day at a 1% death rate for quote, quote, let's see that death graph real quick. Okay. Not that graph, but the the other one, the line graph. Not that far. No, the other one. I want to see the one that says that showing a increase right here. Total deaths. Now you see how this is flatlined out. It's not spurring up. Look at total deaths. Do you see any spur up here going? No. No. All right. Now I want you to look at this. Total cases. There is a little kick. You see a little kick from when the wave hits. You see that kick, that that upward curve up. They're just looking at. I got it. Okay. So I'm understanding. So 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 now, yeah, right. So So now, so basically, what we're seeing is. That the case, cases are going to keep going up. The death rate's the, going to go down. How are people going to say we've had enough? We don't want more, more vaccines, especially when they're pushing it. That polio is the way to do it. Here's the thing. A lot of these people have actually already had exposure. Now, one of the things I want to recommend to people, and I'm going to show them this today so that they can understand how much of the Missouri population didn't drop like flies. If that same virus that was in Missouri went through North Korea, it would kill, there would be many, many expected deaths, many, many. And the, the death rate would be one to two, or maybe even one to 2%, maybe more in North Korea. And uh, it would be an uh, unacceptably high. The death rate in, uh, the current death rate is less than probably for the last three or four days, and is less than probably Let's look at the last three or four days. July 12th is the last death, death I've got. So as a person listening to this podcast, especially with what the number one rated uh, COVID-19 podcasts in the world, when people listen to this, 
the vaccine show, COVID-19 vaccine shows. What should we do? Here's what you should do. If you're a physician or medical professional, you were called on to protect the health of your community. You're called on to advocate for your patient population. You need to advocate for oral live vaccines for coronavirus. That's the rational thing to do. And that's the right thing to do. You know, look, I got right here. And I want to explain something to you. This contains live coronavirus. However, the average person put out about a whole a thousand cc's, more than a thousand cc's of saliva every day. They were swallowing that and it had live virus in it. Are you going to do it now, Mark? Yeah, let's just do or it then right we'll get, get the screen off. We got to see the full picture of you. Okay, all right. Take the screen back. Can you? Can you? Yeah, I, I can know. do that. I'll do that for you. Okay. Oh my gosh, ladies and gentlemen, we're about to see uh, Dr. Mark Hayden swallow live virus of COVID-19 right here, here on the COVID-19 vaccine show. So you have to check out the YouTube. We're going to be pushing this out on my videos as well on Facebook and everything. Let's see him do it. Okay. First of all, where, where this, this came from a donor. It was donated to somebody who was a medical professional. And this was a highly transmissible variant that infected most of the people that it was exposed to very rapidly. It was recently acquired. One of the things is they lose their shelf life. And at any rate, we won't, won't get into too many yeah. details. But I already took this 10 days ago. And when I took it 10 days ago in a small amount in an enteric capsule, I didn't even get diarrhea. I had no stomach upset whatsoever. Now, what that proves is, is that low dose, at least in my case, low dose live vaccine is extremely well tolerated. So it, when you were in the prior waves of pandemic, you remember we had food and you might have eaten a cracker. Look, you had a cracker. Yeah. And people gave you a cracker at a restaurant or you bought one from a takeout. Yes. Guess what? They breathed some coronavirus on it. And this is going to be about 100 times more than what you got on. It, OK. OK, that's about 100 times more probably than what you got. on. It. However, that is much, much lower than what the, the people are exhaling in their own mouth. Okay. The amount of saliva that they're getting is a thousand fold. So my dose here is about one thousandth of what a regular person would get if they had it in their mouth. OK. But it's also about a thousand times, probably more hundreds, many fold. OK, we want to see this. This is the guy. See this. He is just swallowed the, the, the virus. He has just swallowed COVID-19 and also the Delta virus. He has just swallowed. Well, it's a high, highly transmissible variant. High, we didn't highly, identify which transmissible variant it is, but it came out of a community. Actually, it came out of Kentucky, and these people got it while they picked it up in Kentucky, hit the whole whole group of people. But now we're going to put some in some water, okay? Okay. And for interest, and what this is to show an educational thing, 
And you're not allowed to do any of this. No, this is you're not, the only- you're not a medical professional and you're not licensed. So I'm going to put this on my TikTok as well, yeah. Dr. Hayden. Sure. Yes, I'm going to put this on the TikTok as well. Absolutely. Okay. So okay. this contains live virus yeah. the, of the highly transmissible variant. Right. And uh, now, now watch this. All across America, all across Missouri, people are drinking highly transmissible variant. They're eating highly transmissible variant. They're, they have already been exposed, most of them, and most of them aren't even getting GI side effects. They were protected in large part because in prior waves, they were eating takeout and food and water, right. and it got, got everywhere. So they were developing immunity all along and from oral intestinal exposure, and they didn't know it. So probably, okay, so ladies and gentlemen, we just saw this. He has just swallowed live virus on the COVID-19 vaccine show with now, Neil Haley. If you're not a medical professional, you're not licensed. Don't do it. No, no, don't do it. That's a great point. That's, yes. that's a, yeah. If you're not a medical professional and you're not licensed. Now for medical professionals and other people, I want to tell you some of the risk. Let's say I had high dose, very, very high dose antigen and live virus in my mouth. If I went and snored, there's a possibility that I could take snoring would vibrate and dry out, turn it to a powder and I could inhale it. I asked the CDC to, to write a warning about snoring and that it could, could, you could actually contaminate your lungs from having it in your mouth. But what actually happens is 99% of the time people just swallow it down and they're not COVID positive in their mouth. So if you test me an hour from now or three hours from now, I will not be coronavirus positive because I swallow my saliva. I wash it out. Now, if I had an active pulmonary infection going on, I would be breathing it back up to my mouth and my mouth would stay positive. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. Okay. Now, anyway, I've had it on my cracker. I've had it in my water. And we are going to finish up because this is how that show goes. So the last thing you always say, Dr. Hayden, as we really have one of the most interesting COVID-19 vaccine shows is go ahead and close it out. When you look at all the people in Missouri who are not dying, that's wonderful. I mean, that's something to thank God for. None of the people, well, almost it's a fair statement to say almost all of the people that actually contacted coronavirus did so accidentally, right? right. Missouri people don't just go around huffing and, and sucking down uh, coronavirus just to prove they can. Now, I actually went and tested my immunity again to the new highly transmissible variant. I was around somebody. I inhaled for two or three hours right around it while they talked. I can do that because I'm a medical professional and I know what my immunity is. You don't know what your immunity is. And if you tried to do some of the same things, you could wind up very, very sick if you inhaled, if you inhale. So the things I do, you should not do. Now, do people in the community accidentally drink it? When the World Health Organization said coronavirus is, is safe on your food, it's only generally dangerous if you inhale. That's ac accurate. The beauty of it is, that by taking it intestinally, you can, you can produce an immunity that will protect your lungs. 
And that's the same story that we said, that I said for over a year. This is, my, my tune really hasn't changed. That the intestinal path is the path to protection for your lungs. That yeah. if you don't get coronavirus in your lungs, you don't get, get bad sick. That story is consistent, is true. What we need as a society and as a country is to have live coronavirus and immunize those people that have never been exposed and offer that to them. Now, if somebody said, hey, guess what? I'm going to have a capsule you swallow or I'm going to put it in water. And see, here's the difference between me and the CDC. When the CDC goes out to Africa and they go with a needle to inject some poor tribal arm and, and Guess what? I can go out to the tribe and say, hey, look, I'm going to put this on my mouth. I'm going to put it on my cracker. I'm going to swallow some for you. I can do it over and over. Yeah, and it's going to happen. So absolutely. It's, it's much more convincing. And, you know, the best way to prove something's not poisonous is to drink it. Right. All right. So, Dr. Mark, best place. Again, we go to antivirusair.com, but also your YouTube channel, but all the social media channels and check you out especially like subscribe to COVID-19 vaccine show, share it with your friends because this is the only information that's coming out. That's not conspiracy. This is straight from the truth. Yeah. This is not, this is about a vaccine. It's not about the world health org. This is not a like world uh, conspiracy show. This yeah. is straight scientific that the best option is not an intramuscular vaccine. It's an oral vaccine. And that's why Dr. Hayden does this show. And so close us out with your favorite part you like to say. Yeah. My days are numbered. I knew that when I started out, that many of the things I said would not be welcome. I knew I would not get rich. But you do ultimately what you do because it's the right thing. Physicians in their community should stand up for principles of health, even when that's unpopular. Physicians in their community should advocate for good health and good health policy. You can't push that off onto some politicians up in Washington or your capital. If you're a physician, think about your family, your friends. You're supposed to be the good shepherd. Lead your sheep. Protect your sheep. And as always, many of the things I seem to do were, were dangerous, but they really weren't dangerous. The amount of virus that I took was always a small fraction of what somebody experienced during an actual infection. And yet it achieved immunity for me. And I actually had it growing in my colon and documented. it. I didn't take unnecessary risk with my life. Now, anytime you do anything, you have to comply with the local laws, la-di-da. But laws are, are interpreted for political reasons. I can't protect you from political harm if you're a physician, if you stand up for principles of truth. And, and that is what, what, what you know. But let me tell you what guides me. My days are numbered. And I need to make every day count. If you're a person in the community, don't live in fear. Learn all you can about coronavirus. Encourage your physician to learn about coronavirus and ask for simple solutions that are safe. 
Don't let technology be hijacked by for-profit companies. And don't let control of technology be to bureaucrats that are lobbied by these for-profit companies. Exactly. That's wrong. Right. And, you know, do not go into blame game where you're blaming China or Asia or even CDC research. Instead, say, guess what? There's a problem. How do we do deal with it? Okay. And how do we live without fear? Anybody who wants you to live in fear is trying, maybe trying to control you. You don't need to be paranoid. Uh, I haven't been paranoid. And guess what? I'm still alive. I, I, you know, I probably have the strongest immunity in the, in, in, and what, I probably have one of the strongest immunities in the, in the country. I have been around patients that have exhaled live virus repeatedly last year, this year. And you're You've fine. not seeing that. But the day is coming. You know, guess what? The day is coming when you will see a physician not wear a mask around live coronavirus patients. I do that because I'm confident. I know what I'm doing. When your physician knows what he's doing, he can take off his mask when he takes care of a coronavirus patient. Okay. And that, my friend, is a great improvement. That's where we need to be as physicians. We need to pull off the mask. We need to be show our face. Mm-hmm. We need to be carrying people that say, not wearing a mask. Here I am. I'm exposed. But guess what? I'm immune. Okay. Right. All right. So that was, the COVID, that, that was the COVID-19 vaccine show, guys. Take care. Make sure you share it. Like it. Appreciate it. Dr. Hayden, take care. Thank you.